KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Dominique DePrima, and it's time for Friedman Fridays. We're doing this every single Friday. It is meant to be a comprehensive reparations conversation. Um, so we are inviting all comers. And I am so excited to have with us in the studio, uh, so you can see us on YouTube if you want to, at KBLA 1580, a clinical psychologist, um, working, you know, emphasizing community psychology. Uh, she's on the faculty of Loyola Marymount University and has been for the past 34 years. She's a professor of psychology and director of the Applied Research Center. Also, uh, Dr. Grills um, was appointed by the governor of the state of California to sit on their groundbreaking reparations task force, uh, which recently wrapped their work delivered a 1,200-page report, and um, now, now we'll talk about what's next. 809-20-1580 if you want to come in. Dr. Cheryl Grills, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on. Um, so the Friedman Fridays definitely is stirring the pot, and um, that's a good thing. I mean, I want, I want to get momentum. I want people to um, be well-versed. Several attempts to, or at least two that I know of, attempts to extend the work of the task force did not happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're carrying on with a, a, it's not an unofficial um, alliance Mm -hmm. that is working to continue that that tract. Tell me about that. Yes, so um, six members of the nine-member task force uh, came together uh, after the, the task force sunset Um, And we just kept having conversations with each other, trying to figure out, like, what's the best way to keep the momentum going? What work needs to be done? Um, And that led to the formation of the Alliance for Reparations, Reconciliation, and Truth. Um, And that this this alliance actually is a coming together of a powerhouse of organizations um the kind of uh, officiators of the um alliance is the um uh, California Black Power Network and Equal Justice Society but our kind of steering committee is composed of really um important movers and shakers like Calvis um, California, uh, et cetera. And what we're doing is trying to ensure that the public continues to be educated about reparations, what it is, why it's needed, um, what's it going to take to actually get this um, to the point where we have legislation that leads to uh, actual forms of repair, and then also to support the efforts of the legislators in California, particularly the California um, Black Caucus, Legislative Black Caucus, they're going to need the community's backing uh, for anything that they put forth to the legislature. And so how do we make sure that boots on the ground are ready and mobilized to respond to the call? Do you think that, um, are you feeling strong about where we are with the Congressional Black Caucus and, and what they're planning to put forth or what you know of it? Um, so yes, but I wish we knew more. <clears throat> and I wish there was a better communication between um, the, the caucus and the alliance organizations. But needless to say, uh, they are working. And I believe it'll be in about a week 
they will be making an announcement of the actual legislation that they're going to be put be put being put forward that reflects um, some of the recommendations we made in our final report. I think what they've done is an analysis of the various recommendations and put them into buckets and then crafted legislation that might address multiple things. So I think we should expect about at least 12 bills to be coming out from the caucus this year. Now, you were appointed by the governor to be on this task force, and, and you're a psychologist. So a lot of people would say, why have a psychologist on a reparations task force when, you know, we're talking money and, 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 and historical um, facts? Right, right. At the end of the day, reparations is about human beings. And black folks are human, contrary to what this country has tried to do to dehumanize us for over 400 years. Um, and you can't take a group of people and subject them day in and day out, generation in, generation out, to all manner of dehumanization, denigration, denial of rights, um, um, redefining their humanity and who they are and what they have or have not contributed to society. You can't do that 24-7 and it not take a toll on the people. And when people talk about reparations, they've often not looked at the humanity part of it, the human beingness part of it, the psychic trauma part of it, the racial stress part of it. And as human beings, at the you know, one of the things that we have to recognize is that we are we are not um, uh, equipped to handle day in and day out chronic stress. That, you know, you know, an incidental ex- experience of stress is one thing. But then when you make it chronic, and you make it chronic across generations, you're now altering people's basic biology in terms of the stress response. You're altering people's sense of their own identity. You're, you're altering people's sense of community and interactions with one another. Um, and so at the end of the day, there's damage that's done in terms of our physical health and our mental health. And reparations needs to attend to that. Reparations needs to have healing on the agenda. If we're going to be talking about true change, it's, it's not enough to just give me a check, but I'm not well. <laughs> so, you know, we've got to figure out how to address that. Right. Part. Which doesn't mean we shouldn't have a check. Right. Mm, yeah, I mean, I can veer off into a whole other conversation because one of the things, which I won't do too much, but one of the things that I, I'm baffled by is how we seem to have snapped in the last 10 years. Why, why we, I'm talking about black folks, as people I see on the streets mm-hmm. um, at, a, at a level I don't think, I mean, as you think, you know, we've been through enslavement, we've been through Jim Crow, we've been through, is it cumulative or, you know, is it uh, is it the drugs, is it the economy, is it... Um, and and can you you know when you talk about repair, s- psychological um, and physiological repair that comes with those traumas, can it be reversed? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that is important to recognize is that as human beings, and especially for Black folk, we are resilient. If you create the conditions for healing, people will respond, and the healing can occur. You've got to create those conditions. You've got to make that healing a priority. And you've got to be willing to take a look 
at the harsh realities of the negative impact of race of enslavement, Jim Crow, racism, you know, multi generational trauma, um, and it's not just even how we think and how we act. It literally can affect our genetics. Right. So, you know, they have this whole area now in, in psychology that focuses on epigenetics and that if you stress, if my great, great, great grandmother, you know, was brutalized, raped, um, uh, lost her children, um, had to endure the, the, the most cruel conditions, she had a stress response to that. She would pass that on to my great, great grandmother who had her own additional layer. And so then she and her genes passed it on to my great-grandmother who passed it on to my grandmother, to my mother, and to me. So I don't only carry my present-day racial stress and trauma. I'm carrying for generations. We can alter that genetic process if we create the conditions and provide the tools for people to come out of the matrix, take that red pill, see America for what it is, recognize our own humanity, and as the Senegalese filmmaker um, Simbeni said, even if the rest of the world does not see me, I see myself, and then move from self-definition to healing and movement forward so that we can pass on to the next generation something better than what we got. Um, the folks are in, in the chat at uh, KBLA 1580 on YouTube, and uh, Sarah Binney asks what you think of, of the um, interactions of the governor with the task force over the past couple of years. There hasn't been much interaction between the governor and the task force. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate um, I give him credit for supporting the creation of the task force, but the jury is out, quite frankly, on what he's going to do moving forward. And, you know, there's all kinds of conjecture about, well, you know, he at some point is going to be running for president, so he's going to have to be very careful around how he steps yeah. in the reparations world. I think so. I think it's uh, probably a death knell for, for certain folks. Um, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. I uh, want to talk about where we are now. I want to look at some of the conversations we've been having on this show and how they pertain to the work that you're doing. And, um, you know, where do we go from here? How do we continue to push the envelope? I know that's what you're trying to do with the, with the Alliance. How do we not just keep the momentum going, but build it? Love to hear from you, 800-920-1580. We're talking with Dr. Cheryl Grills. I'm Dominique DePrima, and then there's you on KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. The conversation continues right now now, now, with Dominique DePrima on First Things First. First. Talking with Dr. Cheryl Grills. I've got some folks uh, that want to talk to you on the phone, which is great. And you're welcome to uh, check in or just go to the YouTube. I guess that's a popular thing now. And and ask your questions. Um, So... Dr. Cheryl Grills was part of this task force. Um, we're waiting, you said, in, within the next week or so, we should be hearing from the Congressional Black Caucus which legislative pieces mm-hmm. of this they're taking on. Um, wh- where do you think we are now? Uh, I think we are at a critical moment um, that requires all hands on deck, quite frankly. So there, on the one hand, you have the Black Caucus 
uh, ready and uh, about to put forward some legislation. You've got a legislature with mixed, you know, consciousness, understanding, and knowledge about reparations and the need for it. Questionable how many have even read the the right <laughs> the report. Um, and then you have a general public that is extremely varied in its uh, knowledge. We have to realize that we're starting, our baseline is a woefully undereducated public. Um, and it, I think with intentionality. So a lot of people don't know a lot of things, but that doesn't stop them from having opinions and making judgments. Now, there have been different polls that have suggested that, you know, the general public is either against reparations or it's it's pretty much kind of in favor. It's mixed on whether or not there should be monetary compensation as part of the reparations package. Um, but at the end of the day, we have to be really careful about how we interpret the polls because of the way the questions are asked who gets polled, and, you know, how much people really know about the issue and what they're talking about. So I think we are at a moment where we need to do a lot of back to the old school, you know, uh, people sitting down in their living rooms with, you know, as a group, mm. reading stuff, talking about stuff, educating one another, um, and then showing up and turning out when the legislature starts reviewing the recommendations put forth by the caucus so that there's a signal to the legislature that this is something that matters to people and people are ready and willing to get behind it. It's time to collectively throw our hat in the air. Uh, <laughs> let's go to Cindy calling us from Los Angeles. Hi, Cindy. Good morning, Zombie. Thank you for taking my call. Good morning, doctor. Um, Dr. Cheryl, I want to thank you guys, but I have an important um, issue to talk about. Dr. Bonnie Bailey, um, the one at the H.C. Lincoln University, Dominique, and I just think had she had that help at the Freeman Bureau, someone to turn to, like a hotline, an anti-black uh, workplace, or like domestic terrorist hotline, that she could have reported this and she could have gotten the help that this doctor right here, I'm sorry to say, like Dr. Cheryl Grill is talking about. And I just think if we had had something in place to bully in the antagonism, um, lawyers, detectives, anything of that, that we, we could get help going right now. So a hotline is what I'm asking for, for the Freeman Bureau. And uh, this anti-black workplace domestic terrorism is serious. It creates the stress and those things that we're talking about right now. So I just think if she had had someone to connect to a team of detectives, investigators. Yeah, and of that got nature, it. Right got now. it, Cindy. Yeah, that, I mean, it's, well, you know, there and there are things like that, like there's a hate crimes task force, even though people are mad that it's named Asian, but there's still, every city has a human relations commission. Um, here in the city of L.A. where I'm broadcasting from, we have a civil rights department where you can call and report workplace discrimination. But I think your point about the Freedmen's Bureau and what it represents, because um, Senator Steve Bradford yes. has a bill on the table to create a Freedmen's Bureau here in California. And I was surprised. Uh, Kevin Costney was on a couple weeks ago, and he said he, he doesn't support that. Mm -hmm. I was surprised by that. To me, it seems like um, it is at least a evidence uh, of, of progress. Um, so I think that the general idea 
of a place to go, um, a place to a, a resource uh, uh, option is important. I think if, if I can guess, take a moment and hazard a guess at what Kevin was referring to in terms of his problems with a Freedmen's Bureau, is that the way that the idea of a Freedmen's Bureau was described in our final report was so all-encompassing and so heavily bureaucratic and so costly um, that it, it would probably take years and years to get it fully functioning, and it could, it could consume an incredible amount of resources, and it had duplicative effort in it. Um, a Freedmen's Bureau that offers things like a hotline, like, you know, resources for investigative purposes, um, like uh, serving as a monitor and watchdog of other agencies, but a watchdog with teeth. I think that's fine. Um, but I think we just have to be very clear about what kind of scope and what kind of reach a Freedmen's Bureau would have in this present day, in this highly bureaucratic society that we're in. Um, having done a lot of work with California departments, state departments, um, some of the things that are written in our final report, frankly, are like, uh, do you understand how much it would take to do that? Uh, do you understand yeah. how problematic I mean, and, and, that could and, be? And, but at, at the same time, if, you, if we do, when we, I'm going to say when we get to cash reparations, um, somebody's going to have to administer that, right? Mm -hmm. And I, one of the things, you know, that I've that I'm concerned about is exactly that. The welfareization is what I call it of reparations where all of a sudden you get to be mistreated. You know, all of a mm. sudden it's being handled by EDD or the mm -hmm. people that bring you, you know, snap right. and you have to be humiliated again just right. to get reparation. Also, it seems like it is a way of centralizing within um, the, you know, the, the government systems. Mm -hmm. Yes. Reparations and acknowledging it, which to me seems important. Yeah, I, and I wouldn't disagree with that. But what I think when it comes to then saying that then the Freedmen's Bureau is going to actually offer health care services, it's going to provide housing services, it's going to, it, that's, that's one, duplicating some things that we already have in the state infrastructure that could be, um, monitored better, that could be um, uh, revised to be more responsive to community needs better, and something like a Freedmen's Bureau could play a role in that. But it's also uh, duplicating resources and services from our community-based organizations that should be and could be a part of that whole um, reparations implementation process. That's rebuilding the safety net. Right. I, I guess I'm not getting why, you know, I, yeah, you don't want the Freedmen's Bureau to have to be the Housing Bureau and, and Child Services and mm -hmm. this and that. But if it's administering reparations funding and support, wouldn't that then be channeled to some extent to some of those community-based organizations? It could, but it's we would have to make sure that the bill is written in such a way to ensure that, that there's that inclusivity of community in the process. All right, we're a minute away from uh, news, traffic, and sports, but I want to go to um, Jeff from L.A. Jeff, you can go ahead and ask your question, and then we'll hit it on the other side. Hey, how you doing, Dominique? Good, uh, good. You spoke, eloquent, you spoke eloquent, very eloquently yesterday, and I want to thank you for that. 
Um, also, I want to make a comment about the bike lanes, and I'll make a comment about reparations. The bike lane was introduced by somebody from Boston that came over. Yeah, here. yeah. We, we we don't we're talking reparations now, so I'd love to talk with you about that in the you know the final hour of the show or next week. But yeah, reparations question too because I have that too. Okay. So basically, I know. <laughs> what I think. <laughs> so basically, what I think on the reparation is that because the system has changed from the structured situation system that I grew up in to now it's a, it's a money situation. And I don't think we have enough people in place to allow us to get to the funds or to the laws or to access anything that we need because it's so divided because it's more the divisive. Okay. Hold that thought. That yeah. Hold that thought. We can definitely uh, do a little work there. It's KBLA talk 1580. Out loud. KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate meets a scholarly match. Absolutely. You're invited in. It's a Friedman Friday. Uh, Amelie Beatty says, I love how transparent the task force was. All their meetings are available online. Um, and um, 800-920-1580 if you want to call in. Dr. Cheryl Grills, who was a member of the task force, the California Reparations Task Force, is my guest. And Jeff from L.A. was asking, well, asking a question, talking about the money, talking about divisions. Let's start with divisions. Um, You know, Friday Jones made the point that we, we don't have to be in lockstep. That doesn't mean there's necessarily a problem. Um, and, but being, if we're being real about it, there's also some personal attacks going on and some, a level of vitriol that also, at least online, maybe not in real life, that doesn't seem, um, like it's serving us, I guess is what I would say. And the complaint that I hear from the more lineage base, um, folks is that they're not being allowed in the room. They're not getting the funding opportunities. They're not getting... Uh, the fair shake at being heard um, and their ideas being considered. We have folks that have been organizing around reparations or talking about it for decades. And then we have um, younger folks who have created this incredible energy um, and momentum um, for reparations. And what what are the points of unities of unity? Like how do we move past that? Is it, you know, that's, I guess it's a multiple part question. Are those legacy organizations making space for younger voices? Because we know that doesn't always happen in our community. Mm -hmm. I would say um, that they are, but I could also say they could do better. So, for example, when you look at um, ENCOBRA, ENCOBRA is actually working hard right now as we speak to expand the youth base uh, of their efforts across the country uh, and within specific chapters. Um, when you look at the um, at NARC, the National African American Reparations Commission, they could do better to have younger voices uh, in the space, and that's actually one of the things that uh, I'm going to be bringing up with them at some of our upcoming meetings. How do we ensure that we are one, making space for young people, two, providing the information and the historical record um, that will aid young people, and then three, put them in positions where they are carrying the baton because 
my generation, our time is, is, you know, starting to fade and we need to make space. We need to be doing secession planning and we need to make sure that both the voices of the youth and the elders and everybody in between is heard. Um, in the chat here, Friday Jones says, why is there an anti-lineage movement within the reparations movement? I don't know that there's an anti-lineage movement within the reparations movement. I think people have opinions, uh, and those opinions differ. Um, and just because my opinion differs from another person, person's opinion doesn't mean I'm now launching a movement. Um, we've got to figure out how to disagree and not be, quote-unquote, disagreeable. And we have to figure out how to find a, a middle ground that we can all work with. And that sometimes, at the end of the day, we don't always get our way. And, you know, so what do we do when we don't get our way? Do we take our basketball, our, our ball, you know, and leave the sandbox? Or do we say, well, this is not my preference, but I'm part of the, the, the larger cause and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick in with this and I'm going to fight the fight for the greater good, not just for what I want. Jeff, I, I don't know if I addressed your, your question. No, you didn't. Okay, real quick, please, because, yeah, folks are deciding to weigh in today, which is great. Jeff, you there? Oh, man, we lost Jeff. Jeff, call me back. Um, if we didn't address your question, I want to do so. Amina from L.A., you got it. Hi. Yes, good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm an officer of the Dream King Forward Foundation. Our organization is or is uh, advocating for legislation that permits our culture to thrive and survive through ownership of our own community stores, which brings about ownership and continued financial security. Okay, bring me to reparations here, Amina. This is our Freedman Friday segment. Yes, this is about this is about uh, reparations. Uh, in the form of legislation of having and owning our own community stores as a community and generational wealth to be passed on. And I think that will help diminish some of the smash and grabs that's occurring and stuff because there's no pride of ownership. Black people have never had the ability to have a chain okay. of stores. I mean, I, d I don't, you know, we can agree to disagree on why people are smashing and grabbing it. I don't think the problem is pride. I think it's resources. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I still don't get... You know, maybe if we hand people, maybe if we hand people their reparations and, and the United States pays the debt, that could that could be a, a game changer. So the legislation I'm referring to would be that of having uh, uh, permits to be able to have our own community stores because of lack of resources. So that because everything we wear comes from them, uh, all of our sources, we have to go to others. And if we have our own community stores and our own Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of a sidebar, but maybe not. Cheryl Grills, um, talk to me about, you know, how, the, how the um, task force addresses a repair and opportunity in the business spaces, which was, which is really what Amina's talking about. Right, right. I think that she's right on point that, that it is important to build the generational wealth. Um, the, our report, uh, in terms of laying out the harms, talked about how black businesses were undermined, how black creativity uh, was stolen, um, how our opportunities were hindered. And so there are policy recommendations specific to 
um, generating wealth, both in terms of uh, owning property, but also business creation. Um, so the phone lines will stay open for the final hour of the show uh, after Dr. After we lose Dr. Grills at the top of the hour, and you're welcome to call. If you don't get in now, call me then. Let's talk about it. That's what we're here for. Jeff, real quick, your question was, got Jeff back. Okay, I'm back. Thank you. Um, so my thing is because of the generation that she's talking about, I'm in that generation, and I see all the points that you guys are pointing out, and it's too big of a picture to describe. But I think the reparations won't come until a future time because we don't have enough people in place because, like, for instance, the narrative of the media operate, uh, outlets are being brought out by conservatives. And so our message is getting displaced and we're not able to have some kind of unification spot or link where we can all get together and say, hey, this is what we need to do as, as a people and not all these individual things that are going. And I think that's what's going to stall reparations because you just have a lot of people with too much money that are going out of their way to block everything we do. Okay, a lot of different things you said. Thank you, Jeff. Um, it is true there's legislation in Texas and now I think in Florida to pre-block reparations and penalize states that um, that uh, that offer reparations. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if that'll stop us or not. Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't think that's going to stop us. Um, and we have enough. So when the California Reparations Task Force started, there were only a handful of um, government ent entities, right, cities, counties, or states that were considering or doing something related to reparations. It was only a handful. Since we have sunset in California, there are uh, somewhere, I think the last count I saw was 60-plus. Um, I heard another estimate around 100. Cities, cities counties, counties, states. and states. Some people feel like the city-county-state scenario actually undermines a federal reparations. I disagree. Um, and I think we can do both and, and I think both and are necessary. So the federal government is derelict in its duty on this, and it is clear that they are not taking this up. This has been put before them, you know, year after year after year, Congress after Congress, and with no action. The current White House, no action. Um, and so when they are not acting, it's up to us at the local level to say, well, we're going to do our work and we're going to force the issue. And if you have enough states forcing the issue, you're now building that movement for reparations. You're building that momentum that can, you know, act as a stimulus to get the federal government to do the work that it needs to do. Should Biden do something by executive order, like an H.R. 40 type thing, by executive order, order a study? Yeah, he could. Um, but if he doesn't win re-election, there it goes. Right. And, and he <laughs> definitely ain't going to do it before then. I don't see no. that happening. Right. Um, we're talking with Dr. Cheryl Grills and you, 809-20-1580. It is a Freedman Friday exclusively on KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Your ancestors' favorite radio station. Radio station. And your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right, right now, now, we're talking with Dr. Cheryl Grills. It's such a huge topic that um, it's almost impossible to cover everything. You guys are trying to do that. You have a docu-series that you um, are working on. Tell me about that. So, you know, we, are, we were very clear during the task force that educating the public was an important task that has to be done, and it can be done in multiple ways. 
So one of the ways is through the medium of film and television. So we've been working on a docu-series based on the 12 chapters of harm outlined in the interim report and carried forward into the final report. And the docu-series um, has an episode dedicated to each chapter. It, the um, director uh, and the creative genius behind the docu-series is Chan Berry. Uh, from Urban Winter Entertainment, and Chan Berry is the um, the person who, uh, along with Bill Duke, made Dark Girls, the original documentary Dark Girls, and then Chan did Dark Girls 2 and a, a number of other films. Um, we've already completed uh, episode one, which did not start where people would expect. We did not start with enslavement. We started with the chapter Pathologizing the Black Family. And in doing that particular episode, we lifted up the many assaults to the, the foundation of the black community and uh, how we um, need to rise from the, the, the harm that was done there. Um, the second episode does address enslavement. Uh, and we just finished that uh, ep uh, episode and we'll be showing it in different places um, um, across the country. Uh, and then the third episode, we actually started filming last week. And that one is focused on health and mental health. So these, these are coming soon to an outlet near you. It's like a mm -hmm. limited series on reparations. Hopefully yes. mm -hmm. keep the dialogue going. So um, the California Task Force actually did end up recommending lineage-based reparations. Mm -hmm. And um, that there's still a conversation going, uh, you know, lineage versus legacy. It seems to be at times pretty contentious. Is the, is the, um, I don't know, legacy or whatever you want to call it, um, reparations movement suggesting that everyone should get reparation from the United States? Like, you know, of course, Britain and, you know, the Dutch and a whole bunch of people owe reparations to people in different places. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about our um, United States reparations movement, are you and other people like the people in NARC and COBRA, those, you know, organizations that have been around s saying that anyone should get reparations, even if they are not, have not descended from the folks that have experienced harm or, you know, obviously we can say, well, everyone suffered harm under Jim Crow or everyone suffers harm under the ongoing um, white supremacist, uh, you know, systems in this country. But I think from what from what I'm hearing, there is folks feeling like there is a failure to recognize black Americans as or freedmen or Negroes or FBA, ADOS, you know, by any other name mm -hmm. as a distinct group of folks with a specific harm and specific repair that's needed. Yeah, no, absolutely. We are a distinct folk. I'm one of those distinct folk. You know, my my people are from South Carolina by way of West Africa, right? Um, and so no one is denying the special experience and circumstances of direct descendants of enslaved black folk in this country. But um, we, the, I think where there's a divide is in understanding the bigger picture. If you're black in this country and you're harmed because of that blackness by a government that has kind of baked into its DNA anti-black black messaging policy and um, history, uh, then you deserve 
to, to get repair. Now, at the same time, this is a society that does not make a distinction. When the police pull you over, they're not saying, uh, are you a direct descendant or uh, are you an immigrant from Jamaica? Oh, you're an immigrant from Jamaica? Be gone. I'm not. I'm looking for direct descendants. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. And, and, I, and my real big concern is that unhoused people and others that are direct descendants or whatever um, will will be left out because of, you know, what I call the welfareization. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's, you know, there's an argument to be made that, you know, there's lots of immigrants to this country, black included, that just think they can hopscotch right over black Americans and mm -hmm. don't respect the investment, the sweat equity and the struggle. I'm not just talking about building the White House. I'm talking about mm -hmm. the struggle mm -hmm. um, and, and just... Uh, you know, and, and feel like that as black Americans, we don't have uh, a special, you know, class. And especially those who are arguing in, in which, you know, many do that it's a debt mm -hmm. that's owed, right? Mm -hmm. um, okay, so it, it was not by any grand design that I ended up in South Carolina and my cousins ended up in Jamaica and some other cousins ended up in um, Brazil. And what ended up happening, particularly in terms of the Caribbean, is that there was this fluid movement back and forth between folks from the islands and, uh, and the Caribbean and the United States. It's not as clear cut a distinction. And they were being harmed too. And yes, they have their reparations efforts right, that yeah. they're going after. The Jamaicans got to right. go after the British. Right, right yeah. exactly. Um, but at the same time, you know, we can't use the master's tools for dividing us and, um, and then allow that to further divide us in the present day. We have a global problem of anti-blackness and thank God there is now a global movement. There is a pan-African movement for reparations that includes all sectors of the global village. And maybe in that context, we can have an informed conversation about the nature of the harm and the special classes of people and how those harms should be repaired and who should be held accountable. But in the meantime, here in the United States, particularly given the way that the legislation for these commissions and these task forces have been written, they state not just to examine in the period of enslavement, but also the harms and the experiences post-enslavement. But what the and what the task force did, from what I can tell, is sort of a compromise, right? Because there's lineage there, but then there's um, the ability to recognize other specific harms linked to mm -hmm. whether it be health care, right. um, you know, housing and, right. and the like. Right. So so that special class of direct descendants um, get, it would receive preferential consideration uh, and focus for the monetary compensation. But then when the, when the harms were related to legal matters, housing, education, health care, and all black people in this space in California were harmed, you know, then that, that legislation for repair would benefit the full harmed class. 
Yeah. So for folks that want to, tr- you know, keep track of the Alliance, keep themselves up to date, um, be well-informed and well-versed, what would you suggest we follow, read, like, do? Um, form study groups like we did back in the, in the 60s, right? Read the report. <laughs> Take it chapter by chapter. And in doing that reading, you know, come up with your own questions, your own analysis. Find community-based organizations that are doing work on the issues that you see are a priority. Keep informed in by sh- radio shows like this and other black media about what's going on. Um, look for information that will be coming out from the alliance saying, this is what's happening in the legislature. Can you support? So, uh, and then if you're a member of an organization or an association, uh, please engage them in considering supporting the reparations task force work. There's a uh, supportreparations.org website that you can go to and you can endorse in a variety of ways the work of the task force. We are at over 600 now. We started with less than 40 organizations. We're we're over 600. Our goal is to get to 1,000. And these are not lightweight organizations that have signed on. We're talking about the ACLU, the NAACP nationally, the uh, the Urban League nationally. We're talking about um, law associations and bar associations, um, the Ethnic Psych Associations, the Association of Black Psychologists, the National Latinx Psych Association, the... um, uh, some divisions of the American Psychological Association have all signed on. Supportreparations.org. Yes. And read the report. You can get it at the um, Office of the Attorney General website. Mm-hmm. Dr. Cheryl Grills, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. All right. You got something to say? Say it now after news, traffic, and sports. 800-920-1580. It's a Friedman Friday on KBLA Talk 1580.